Uh, we're going to get into chipolytics. About, okay. Even about basketball today. We're going to get, like, you and I have not talked any basketball yet because I, and this is going to sound like I'm buttering you up, but I am not. Um, you have a view of the college football world, slightly different from mine, by the way. Uh, I think I'm more uh, more militant and cynical uh, than you, and you know more about it uh, than I do, so I, I'm probably wrong. But the um, but I love talking about the mechanisms of the sport on top of the, the fact that you know more about who's good and who isn't than I do. Um, but I was reading John Wilner's piece in the San Jose Mercury News today, and it's it's inevitable what's going to happen here, right? It's inevitable that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to not organically dominate the college football playoff in the future, but essentially game the system where they automatically dominate the college football playoff in the future because there's no guarantees what it's going to look like beyond not this upcoming season but the following season because there's there's not even a television contract we have no playoff starting with the 2026 season uh but it's going to look like whatever the Big 10 and the SEC want it to look like it'll have as many teams as they want it to have and they will have as many spots in it as they want uh want themselves to have regardless of what the reality is is that fair i think it's too early I think that we are currently in the process of looking at what the college football playoff is going to be from 2026 to beyond to to know exactly which of these things will be true. Because, yes, flatly, the SEC and the Big Ten are going to dominate. The SEC and the Big Ten might also look different in 2026 than they look in 2024. Um, sure. A big thing I've gotten out of the last seven, ten days or so is just the – you know, underling the underlying um, bubbling of another wave of conference realignment. Oh, no Further question about it <laughs> for the SEC and the Big Ten. So when you're making these decisions about the makeup and the revenue distribution of the college football playoff from 2026 to 2032, if you believe that these conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, are going to be more valuable because of additions that they're going to have to the conference then that's going to go into their negotiations and the way that they're looking at things. But what you're pointing out is that at the meeting, the board of managers, which apparently is different than the working group, which is apparently different <laughs> than the AFCA, the FCC, the CAA, and I don't know, it's alphabet soup to me. <laughs> but the power brokers of the sport yep. come out from these meetings and they say, yeah, we talked about 14. Yeah, we talked about 16. Yeah, we talked about potential guaranteed bids, multiples of them specifically for a conference. And that's what you're referencing here. Yes. Here is my um, translation of where we're at. The SEC and the Big Ten want to make sure that because they believe they will have all of the brands that are worth a damn in the new college football playoff era, that they will be compensated as such from the television contract with the revenue distribution. Now, there's a couple different ways you can do this. You can sign a contract that says right off the bat, we are going to get a big chunk and everybody else, which includes the ACC and the mm -hmm. Big 12, as well as the Sun Belt and the Mountain West, y'all can deal with it. That's very similar to what we have at the 14 model, where the Power 5 conference distributed about 80% of the money that was generated and the other conferences shared the crumbs from the other 20%. Yep. 
The other way you can do it is to game the system with a wink and a nod, which is to say we are going to guarantee spots in the college football playoff for our conference, but the revenue, oh, this is just all going to be a meritocracy. However many teams you get in and however many wins they get, that will dictate what the payouts are, which, of course, you are loading the dice if you set it up with automatic qualifiers specifically for that conference. The expansion to 14, to me, is built with the idea that the SEC and the Big Ten are guaranteed extra spots beyond mm-hmm. just the one conference champion. The expansion to 16 might be something that happens so that the ACC, the Big 12, and then the group of five don't see all of their spots getting gobbled up by these automatic qualifiers. I know this seems confusing, but just understand that all these reports you're hearing are the negotiations. This is what they are fighting over. The SEC and the Big Ten, at the end of the day, want to make sure that they have more teams in and that they've got more money coming their way from the deal. So there's a couple different ways you can do it, everybody else. You can guarantee (laughs) us spots or you can guarantee us the paycheck. But either way, we want to make sure that because we're the leagues with all the tiny helmets that people tune in to see that we end up making a good portion of the deal. Chip Patterson is joining us here, Cover 3 Podcast. Uh, Every Wednesday we do this. And I get so many people that respond to me that say, man, I can listen to this all day. And it's mostly because you uh, are awesome at this. Now, let me ask you this question. Because last week, first of all, my my plan would be, um, well, my this would not be my plan. But they're going to 16. I would say get rid of automatic qualifiers altogether. I don't think there should be. I think we should have, we're doing this, we should have the 16 best teams, let them fight it out for the national championship. This, again, there's always going to be just five teams that really have a chance, but that's fine. We're making it bigger because more games are more fun. Um, but last week, you pointed out your, what, 12 best teams? And they were basically all from these two leagues anyway, yes. right? Yes. So, Going into this next season with Florida State reloading, with Clemson just still being so, you know, a, a head-scratcher offensively. Anti-modern. <laughs> with, with Utah, I guess, you know, Utah, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, that's really the conversation we're having. I mean, we're not talking any top 10 teams. Right. From that group. So they're going to get all the teams in anyway. Just do it organically. But my point is, because you know what, when you, what you were describing to me? And I apologize that this is going to bother people. You just described gerrymandering to me. And that's what the Big Ten and the SEC are doing. We are guaranteeing our dominance over time because that's the way that's the way it is now. We have all the money. Anybody, everybody. Oregon and Southern Cal don't want to be in the Big Ten. They feel like they have to be in the Big Ten. They would rather stay where they are. It's just there's no way there's no way a team in Eugene, Oregon could want to play against teams in the Midwest of the United States. There's zero chance of that. But they feel like they have no they have no other option. Otherwise, they're going to get left behind. This is the whole system is gross to me. I all right. So a couple of things. Um, yes, they are 100 percent drawing the districts, so to speak. And they have all the power and they have all the leverage and the ultimate, you know, trump card is, all right, no deal. We'll do our own. And we'll have... They should. One, we'll have one bracket. That's the Big Ten bracket. 
We'll have another bracket. That's the SEC bracket. And they'll play in a game. That's what they want. And you know what we'll call that game? The excellent bowl. And we'll have a halftime. I mean, it's just, just call it yeah. the, well, I can't call it the Rose Bowl. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. The, the, the AFC NFC model is the threat. All right. Yeah. So I will push back. I do think that going to 16 teams and just having it be one through 16. Right. I think that is extremely uh, damaging to college football as a whole. I think that when you're able to dangle these little carrots out, even if you're just going to go get beat, being able to have spots for conference champions keeps engagement going. I think there's an oversaturation issue that you would face if you just lined them up one through 16 and told the committee to go pick the best 16. The other thing that I don't trust the committee's decisions, because as I wrote at CBSSports.com last week, the committee hasn't had to make a lot of hard decisions. No, they blew the one, the blew the one hard decision they made. Like I, I don't want that to be the future of the expanded college football playoff. Yeah. You know, their decisions from five through 12, essentially separating one loss and two loss teams have only made a difference in terms of who goes to the peach and who goes to the cotton. And now it's going to decide who has home field for a first round game in the playoff for the national championship. I don't trust the committee to do some one through 16. So I like having automatic bids, um, I would be fine with an expansion of 16 and getting rid of the buys. But in order to keep college football as a whole, you know, as intact as possible, uh, I I like having the conference championship auto bids just because it gives the ACC, the Big 12, you know, the Mountain West, the Sun Belt. uh, It gives them something to really hang on to and something to really compete for all the way through the end of the season. Except that it's just lawsuit avoidance. They don't want to do this. They're doing it to avoid a lawsuit. The only reason why we have this. I mean, otherwise... But, but the why is not important to me. I'm consuming this no, as, like, college football. Like, I, I think the oh. college football fan would have even more frustration with an oversaturation of a 16-team tournament that has even more skewed of only the Super 2 than what we're already going to have even an expanded playoff with guaranteed automatic qualifiers. Right. That's why you have to expand is to give the SEC and the Big Ten what they want without losing what you already have with the twelve. I wanna I wanna do I wanna do a little chipolytics in basketball in a second, but let me so let's spend two more minutes on this. I'm gonna kick it forward two years. Um the ACC and Florida State are headed for some sort of a separation. Um however much that costs will determine whether or not there is a draft of teams that follow through the gaping hole of the league, whether it's Clemson or North Carolina or Virginia. Others will, if Florida State goes, others will go as well. Um, So I will then ask Jim Phillips if he's still the commissioner of the league at the time. The exact same question I asked Craig Thompson, who was commissioner of the Mountain West. This goes back 20-some-odd years. Why are you part of a system that conspires against you? Why would you ever schedule and make it easier for these schools to keep you down? And he, his answer was, they pay us. I, I will ask, I promise I will ask the ACC commissioner that question. Why are you even scheduling these teams? Like, why are you scheduling SEC and Big Ten teams? Yes. Why Why take part in the system that is keeping you down? Because that's, that's what the consolidation, I'm not even going to call it expansion anymore. Well, that, that's what this, this corporate takeover is about. 
It's about squashing the competition. It's not about anything other than that. It's all about greed. So why would I take part in your greed? I I can't speak to the business side of this, um, except for what I'm able to uh, gain for, gather from industry experts. But I do think from a philosophical standpoint, you want at certain institutions to be competing at the highest level. And even if a um, uninvolved objective party and analysis mm-hmm. can say, you are not playing the same game, mm-hmm. you are getting um, held out. I think that there is a philosophical standpoint that is saying you know, we want to measure ourselves against the very best. And I don't know if you have that at like every ACC school, but I do think that you've got them at a lot of ACC schools where you understand you're not playing the same game as the SEC and the Big Ten, but that doesn't mean that you are holding yourself to a different standard. And there may be a financial gap, but when you go play those teams in non-conference play, a football coach or an athletic director can look out on the field and say, I don't see much of a difference here. So you you stay in the game because you believe that if you eliminate all the external factors and just leave it to what happens between kickoff and triple zeros, that you can still you know prove your worth and being able to be at the big boy table. Uh, I think that that is the value competitively uh, that drives a lot of these decisions. Ultimately, I think we're going to see the big 10 and the, SEC get much bigger, not just a little bit, I think much bigger, uh, unless they jettison some schools, which I would certainly, I could certainly see that happening too. Um, And they're going to do their own thing. That's the way I think we're headed, where they're going to just do their own thing. And that's going to be Division One or 1A. And then whoever's left from the Big 12 and the ACC will be. Part and the group of five will be Division One AA, and then the FCS will be Division One AAA. That's the way I think we're headed, uh, and I don't think that's good for anybody. But that's the way we're headed because the money uh, is the most important thing. Let me get to the chipolytics. Uh, I don't know if you saw Scott Van Pelt's one big thing, but he did the breakdown of what I have been talking about for a long time. He just did it much more smoothly. Uh, me, I rant and I wave my arms around. Um, about the difference between conferences. And he talked about the Big 12 and how he thinks it's the best league, and I don't disagree with him. Uh, I just don't think there's that big a difference uh, between that league and the ACC. I think they've gamed the system to make it look better. Um, do you, First of all, do you think the ACC has a chance to get more than five teams in or even five teams into the tournament? Mm, yes, five, uh, I would say, is definitely on the board. You know, the getting to the sixth is going to depend on what happens. Let me see if I can do this off the top of my head. The Atlantic 10, the Mountain West, the the Valley, depending on what happens with Indiana State. Wow. I mean, your chip, so, your chipolytics run deep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Drake and Bradley could be like a a big problem for Indiana State. And when we go into the A-10, I mean, Dayton is not even the first place team in the conference right now. And Richmond VCU could be a big time problem for them. Um, So, like, that's that is what we're looking at right now is the fact that whoever the 
the when we're talking about the five or the six, like to me, four, four seems good. I mean, I don't know, man. Virginia might lose at Boston College tonight, and then I don't even know what to do with the Wahoos at that point. But right. let, let's let's just say that Virginia, just because of everything they've done between then, uh, have you listened to the 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 T ball rating? Did you hear Matt no. Rolander? <laughs> T-ball is T-B-A-L. They've been blank lately. You know, like like Virginia's T-ball score is through the roof right now because they have been blank. Um, I I am in the position to think that you can get to that fifth if you don't have a lot of problematic bid situations in the Mountain West, the Atlantic 10, and maybe in the Valley. However, if things get a little bit hairy and some unexpected conference tournament winners come out of there, you have a strong team, you know, like a Dayton, potentially like an Indiana state or like one of those teams uh, in the mountain West who or one of the many teams in the mountain West who've been pretty good this year, that that's where it gets really, really tough for a pit, for example, yeah. a team who I fundamentally believe is very good, but just might end up being on the wrong side of the way the selection committee seeds things. No, I, I, you know, they probably needed to win last night against Clemson on the road. They've got good road wins, right? I mean, Pitt, Pitt I, I've seen Pitt play a bunch, and every time I watch them, they look good. I didn't see last night uh, otherwise occupied. They played well last night, too. It was no, My story last night was that Clemson, it, we are not used to still talking about Clemson being good on February 28th. We are used to talking about Clemson's 14-0 start and then watching them <laughs> collapse in ACC play. Well, they don't have a great conference record. That's the most amazing thing. They've, they've not been great in inside the league. They have been good enough. And right. I just, but, but I think the overall quality over the last, what, seven, eight games. And we're talking about a team that's won, was it five out of six, six out of seven. Right. I, 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 th- I think that Clemson's, uh, Clemson I, I think Clemson's good. Player. They just, yeah, their their record in the league. They're not going to be. They're they're not going to get one of the four buys. They're one of the four best teams in the league. I'm I'm convinced of it. But they're not going to be one of the four. They're going to have to play on Wednesday. I haven't even done the ACC tournament bracketology. That's usually a, a motivating chipolytics factor <laughs> when we're putting in our best bets for the final right. two weeks of the regular season. Um, so is it Carolina Duke? Wake Virginia right I th- now. I think and those then- are going to be the four teams that are going to, you know, enter the fray on Thursday. And Clemson, who I think is one of the best four, is going to have to play on Friday, or rather on Wednesday. Frankly, NC State could be playing on Tuesday. And it bothers me because I think they should have been better than this. But uh, but I like Pitt. I really do. Um, yeah, I, I th- again, this, and they played was like a one-possession game with like two or three minutes left. I it's a, it's a tough one. Pitt needed to win it. It wasn't a yeah. bad loss. I, th- I think it, last night seemed to me to be a little bit more about Clemson's win. Yeah, good. I mean, good for good on uh, good on the the Tigers. I think Brad Brownell does a good job. And finally, it's good to see them play better offense than defense for a change. Uh, it's not a great defensive team. Pretty good offensive team. No, but PJ Hall's good enough. I mean, I was. Oh, it yeah. was so funny. I was I was coming out of uh, going into last night's game, and I was like, you know what? Oh man, this is a good one that you can run with. Is is Sebastian Ajo the Kawhi Leonard? No. Okay. No. Um, try- you talk about him as like one of the best two-way players in the league, and Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard gets respected by the basketball nuts, but by your right. average fan, probably Kawhi Leonard doesn't get the same level of respect. I think the people that are really into hockey. Love Sebastian Ajo. Oh no, he's a very good player. I need what I need more from Sebastian Ajo. I appreciate you uh, folding this into uh, the Hurricanes. 
Um, what I need more from Sebastian Ajo is, um, you know, first and foremost, I mean, you're a two-way player, but first and foremost, uh, you got to be dynamic offensively. He and Andre Svechnikov both. I need more. That's my, my one of the things I said last night on the Canes Quarter podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts, uh, was that we need more from 20 and 37. They've got to be noticeable uh, all night long, and they go through stretches when they're not. Uh, and I'm not trying to compare him to Connor McDavid or play, players like that, but, I mean, the best players are always noticeable. So you know, like, I, I need Sebastian Kawhi to be that. Kawhi never got put on the same level as a LeBron or a Steph. Right. Health issues had something to do with that. Yep. But uh, anyways, anyway, P.J. Hall is what led me there. Clemson <laughs> big man P.J. Hall is a very good two-way player. He's a taller he Sebastian enough, Ajo. And he does enough rim protection that I think that even though Clemson's not a lockdown defensive team, he can be uh, a difference maker on that side. You're the best. That's Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com, Cover 3 podcast. Always great. This will be up on YouTube. <laughs> I don't know, in like an hour. Uh, Thank you, man. I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Y'all be well. He's the best.